The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. I need to make a confession right up front. Uh, I gave this message about 11 years ago. Uh, after the event, which is kind of the core of the story, the lesson the Lord taught me. Uh, And then about uh, two weeks before the end of the spring semester, early this year, I had the opportunity to give one last chapel uh, at the school there in South Carolina. And I looked back through things that I'd shared, was just praying, talking with my wife, and the Lord brought this message back to my mind. And so for the students at CIU, if I could leave one last thought with them, uh, this was it. Uh, This is my heart to you. And so as I was thinking and about my first chapel, was going through, like, wow, maybe I start off with this is my heart for you. Uh, So I asked the uh, worship team to pray for me that I wouldn't get emotional, um, but uh, spoiler alert, if I do, that's the reason. Uh, so um, uh, this is just very near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, I think some of us and faculty and staff, uh, with the life that we've lived, the experience that we have, uh, we would love to just download our experiences, lessons learned to you guys, uh, and that, that you would just know them. But like the hot stove, sometimes you've got to touch it. Um, before you really get the meaning, and that's, that's the pain of things sometimes. The Lord takes us through struggles uh, in order to drive that lesson deep uh, within our, our heart. Um, and it's also pretty cool with uh, Dr. Plummer, Dr. Murawski, the messages that they shared, both of them challenging us to live uh, with a God-centered focus. Dr. Plummer talking about being a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. Dr. Morawski talking about putting off evil, looking for the good and cleansing your heart and all of these things, pursuits that are great and they're wonderful. And while they alluded to it, I want to specifically address how. There's this list of things in Scripture. Do these things. You look at Romans 12 and it gives, here's the, here's the standards for living the Christian life. And you're like, this is great. How? How? And so my topic, doing right in the sight of the Lord, kind of hits at that, and it finds its uh, meaning from the Old Testament. So a lot of things that Israel went through are there for our example, uh, to learn from them. So if you remember your Old Testament survey class, right after Solomon died, the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. Uh, The northern kingdom that stayed Israel uh, had... Uh, 19 kings, all bad. Just spend some time in Chronicles and Kings. It's, it's sad that after Solomon, 19 kings in the northern kingdom, all of them bad. And then in the south, which was Judah, 20 kings, 12 good, no, 12 bad, 8 good. So better than Israel, but as far as the nation that represents the Lord, that stinks. And so when we look in Scripture, we find... Some of these things, oh, I went too far. There we go. You see some of these verses. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of Jeroboam and in his sin which he made Israel 
to sin. So this is talking about some of those kings. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. What a great thing to have said about you in the Bible of all places. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. And so you see this pattern in the sight of the Lord, bad, 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 evil, evil, evil. And so how do you do right in the sight of the Lord? Well, let me cut the kings a break because what they did was not 100% their fault. There was a foundational error underneath that that kind of set the tone for these kings. And we find that way back uh, with Samuel. And so in Samuel uh, chapter 8, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. So here is Israel going and saying, Give us a king. We want a king like the other nations. And then Samuel and the Lord have this conversation. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they, have said for, they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing so to you also. So here we see the kings, yes, they were responsible for what they did, but the people had rejected God and had forsaken him to serve other gods. And so when these kings came into power, well, what are the people? The people aren't following the Lord at all, and so how would you expect the king to step up and do that and follow the Lord? And so in their mistakes, we learn some lessons And so we see, as a collective people, they forgot God, as did the bad kings. They chose to submit to a human king who would tax them heavily, by the way, versus the God who had delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, fed them, and provided them water. Now, think with me. We can look back and see everything that God did for the nation of Israel, and we're like, you bunch of boneheads. Everything God did for you, and now you've forsaken him. That makes no sense. Look at the third bullet with me. They literally forgot, willfully without thinking, what God had done and believed they could conduct their own affairs better if the governing was left to themselves. Yeah, Israel, dumb. But I think we should all take a look at that third bullet and say, whoops, (laughs) I think I'm guilty of that too. I think I can run my affairs better than you can, God. There are some things, Lord, I know that you need to do, and I will give you honor over there. But in these areas, I got this. And if it goes bad, I'll get back with you, maybe. So are we any different than the nation of Israel? Those people that we were supposed to learn lessons from, we haven't. And we make the same mistakes. So two foundational principles for doing right in the sight of the Lord. Number one is submission to God. The people had rejected him, pushed him off. And number two, dependence upon God. They didn't depend upon God. They had forsaken him to follow after other gods. You're not going to do it for us. We'll go over here. And this is where their dependence is gone. So we need to learn from this. Now, dependence, 
we don't do too bad with dependence. We're okay with that word. I depend on other people. I depend on my team and student life to do all the things we need to do. I depend on my wife to keep me in shape, you know, and do the right thing. We don't have a problem with that. But submission, whoa, back off. We're in the 2000s, 21st century. Submission is not a thing that's out there. There is a leadership book, and it's called The Ascent of, Leader, the Ascent of a Leader, that is one of my favorites. And here's a quote from that book that I think speaks fantastic to submission. Submission is a love word, not a control word. Submission means letting someone love you, teach you, or influence you. In fact, the degree to which we submit to others is the degree to which we experience their love, regardless of how much love they have for us. We probably are all guilty of having an attitude back at our parents. And I remember specifically... (laughs) I remember specifically one time punching the wall upstairs, leaving my knuckle marks in the sheetrock, saying, I don't even think you love me. What a stupid, and I regret saying that to this day, because I absolutely knew that my parents loved me. But in my attitude, I chose to block off that love. I was not willing to submit to their leadership, their guidance. I just lashed out in anger with an attitude, punched the wall, and said, I'm not going to accept your love. Take that. Who paid the price? Me. Not them. They were hurt, but I was the loser. And we did the exact same thing to God. In our unwillingness to submit to God, we say, God, like the nation of Israel, you delivered us from this, you delivered us from this, you delivered us from this, but with my attitude, no. And we are the only people, individually, between me and God, that can thwart God's love. His love is still there, overwhelming. But I am the only person that can shut down God's love for me as it's applied to me. That love is still there. But through my attitude, I'm like, don't want it. Don't need it. And we get all huffy like the nation of Israel, and we make jerks out of ourselves. Well, let me tell you a little story. So as I have mentioned... I'm a busted soccer player, and I'm not allowed to play anymore. Uh, My owner and manager, Patty, uh, has forbidden me from playing. (laughs) So I went to road biking, uh, and I love road biking. Well, in 2011, five guys from CIU uh, came up with this idea that they were going to ride from this church uh, that one of them was a member of in Jacksonville, Florida, and they were going to ride to the Portland Light up in Maine. They were going to ride their bikes up there. And what they did is they were going to stop in the evening. They would have either an alumnus or a church, and they would do, they'd have a booth with CIU information, and they called it the One More Tour, recruit one more student. And so they started off on this venture, and unbeknownst to them, I met them the first night down in Florida, and I rode with them across Georgia, South Carolina, and up into North Carolina. So we're riding along. Uh, so here's these 20-something guys. I'm in my late 40s at this time, uh, riding with them. I didn't know, but their sole purpose on that, those days was to wear me out <laughs> and do me in. Well, when you ride 
bikes like that, normally what you do is you get in a line, and the person that's out in front, it's called taking a pull, and you're out in front, and so like we watch the geese and birds fly, and they fly in formation. Why do they do that? Aerodynamics. So the person that's out in the front is cutting the wind for everybody else, and it makes it easier for everybody that's behind them. And so their rule was you did a pull for three miles. So for three miles, about 10 minutes, you were out in front pedaling your heart out, and you were doing the hard work, and everybody was able to benefit off of you. So again, at this point in time, I didn't know that they're doing me in. So they're riding 20, 21 miles an hour, and I'm keeping pace because I'm like towards the back, uh, benefiting off of their work. But one by one, a guy's coming off the front, and I'm getting closer to the front. And so I'm number two, and I know that as soon as this guy Matt, Matt Densky, as soon as Matt peels off, i got to take the pull. It's me. And so I'm like, I will show these guys. Uh, I'm going to do it. Not that I was going to go busting out faster, but I'm just going to keep that pace. And so we get going, and Matt pulls off, and I'm up front, and I look down, see the speed, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to maintain the speed. So I'm going on, and I'm doing fine. And I come to realize that, hey, I don't have that much further, and then I'm done. But there's one rule when you're taking a pull, is if you're going up a hill, you don't bail out in the middle of the hill. You finish the hill, and then you peel off, and you let the next guy go. So here it is, 2.8 miles, I don't know, something like that. And what's in front of me? Hill. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So I just sucked it up, pedaled hard, made it up the top of the hill, and I pulled off to the left. And normally what you do is when you pull off, you slow down your pedaling a little bit, you let that line go by, and then you pick up your pace just a little bit, and you fall in the back, and then you get to benefit off of everybody else's work, and you can recover during that time. Well, when we got to the top of that hill, I was 100% gassed. I was, I was toast. And so when I pulled off to the left, what did I do? I absolutely stopped pedaling. Well, what happened? And then by the time I realized, ooh, I better get going, I pulled back behind these guys, and they were gone. It wasn't that far, but you don't have to be too far off the back where that benefit is not there anymore. And so I am like, Rick, you better get going or you're in big trouble. Bottom line, I was in big trouble. (laughs) I had absolutely nothing left to catch up to those guys, and I was done. I was off the back, uh, and I wasn't going to be able to catch up to them. But then something incredibly interesting happened. Matt, the guy who was kind of right in front of me in the rotation, Matt slowed down, came off the back, got back in front of me, and said, come on. And so Matt started picking up his pace again, got right in front of me, and Matt pulled me right back up to the group. Saved my life. My pride. (laughs) Let's be honest here. Um, So it was an incredible time for me to experience the benefit of somebody else doing all that work for me. What I was completely incapable of doing, somebody else did for me. So, here, this verse in Galatians. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. The law tells us what we need to do. So, the law for me out there writing was pedal hard, Stay in line, keep up. But that same law that instructed me what to do was the same law that condemned me because 
in the law, I was 100% powerless. I could not pedal hard. I could not stay in line. I could not keep up. If Matt had not come back, I was dead in the law. (laughs) That was there. It's pretty tough to be in that situation. And I took 20 pages out of here. So the law pointed out where I was powerless. It's like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a wonderful thing. The law that God gave to Moses to instruct us, it's a fabulous thing. It's the very thing that condemns us. Now, we might be able to be so good as to go throughout our life without murdering somebody. But coveting, honoring, some of those things that are in there, we can't do that. And so that law condemns us. The same law that instructs us condemns us. Here's what Scripture says. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So Paul, this is the famous Romans 7, the things that I want to do, I don't do those things, the things I don't want to do, those are the very things I find myself doing. Ah! You know, it's Paul having a crisis moment right there. And he points to the answer, but he still says here, in my mind... Rick, on his bike, in my mind, pedal hard, stay in line, keep up. That was in my mind. I knew that. Translating it to this half of my body didn't happen. I could not do that. And so Paul says, I want to do this. I know it right here. But when it comes to living it out, I serve my flesh. And so the answer he points to is amazing. And this is what... He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so Rick on his bike, condemned by the law, sees Matt come off the back and say, hey, let me provide for you. And so... Paul continues, verse 3, incredibly powerful verse, if you could grasp this. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. I could acknowledge the law. I knew that. But I was absolutely powerless. And while I'm a little remiss to equate Matt with Christ, the picture is still there. If he had not done something on my behalf, I was dead. Absolutely dead. So it's a beautiful picture that Christ paints, or Paul paints for us about Christ and what he has done. It goes on. In Titus, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and in a godly manner in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, eager for good deeds. Jesus did not come simply to save you, 
Matt did not come off the back of the group in front simply to ride with me back there. Matt came back there to empower me to ride the way that I was meant to ride. I joined the One More Tour. I had the shirt. I was meant to ride with them, enjoying the group ride together. I was not meant to ride back there falling off the back. And so Matt didn't come back there just to be my buddy. Matt came to pull me back up here to ride the way that I was meant to ride. God has put a life out in front of each of us to live the way that we were meant to live, to ride the way that we were meant to ride. And Jesus didn't say, I'm here to be your buddy, the big man upstairs. Jesus came to empower us to live the life that in and of ourselves we cannot live, and that is grace. And if we grasp hold of what grace means and we can put off the world, and this is where Dr. Plummer's message makes so much sense, get your eyes off of comparison and get your eyes on provision and live the way that you were meant to live, free from the condemnation of other people, free from the judgment, free from your your own inequity to say, God, You are doing this in me. And so Titus says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, yes. But then it instructs us and it makes that provision because God is redeeming for himself a people. And that's what he wants us to be. He, God, made him who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Of God in Him. So, as we think about that word submission, I had to submit and say, I can't do this. And so, in my mind, probably back there, riding behind those guys, I'm crying out for help in my mind. Ego is challenging me to live by the law. But In reality, I had to recognize and say, I'm hopeless. I cannot do this. But while I was wrestling with my own submission, and as we wrestle with our own submission to the fact that we can't do it in and of ourselves, there's another process of submission that's going on. Matt had no obligation whatsoever to fall off the back and come and help me. He had done nothing wrong. He had every right to claim his spot with those other four guys and to ride up there enjoying the privileges of that. I'm hoping that for some of you, Philippians 2 is coming to your mind. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality God something to be held on to, but emptied himself taking the form of the servant. And being born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Matt said, you know what? I'm going to lay aside my enjoyment on the back here, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to help Rick out. Jesus looked down on us and in God's plan for eternity, 
there has to be a way because these people will never ride the way they were meant to ride if there's no provision. So that's what he did. He sent his son and Jesus willingly laid aside his deity and coming down in human form lived as the perfect God in flesh to buy us back. One of my favorite passages is in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is work at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Our condition. We're toast. But two of the most incredible words in Scripture come in the next verse. But God. Where would we be except for those words? I would be on the side of the road in South Carolina, still panting, if Matt had not come back and helped me. Where would you and I be in our attempt to ride like we were meant to ride if Jesus had not come back and picked us up where we were and said, hey, let's ride together. Let's catch back up. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, not only was he willing to come save us, but in all of our disgustingness, he stepped right in the middle of that and said, let's ride. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then the popular verses come a little bit later, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace, you're saved through faith, but not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. That's what God has done. My heart for you and my goal as dean of students is to just fellowship with you in the midst of that. Yeah, I may have to do mean things, (laughs) but that's not why I have this job. Forget the stigma of the title. I just want to walk with you and fellowship with you. And sometimes maybe what I can do is I can come back and I can ride alongside you and pick you up. My prayer is through all the prayer groups, discipleship groups, those things that are going on out there, that you would ride together. And that some of you would be so keen to look back over your shoulder and say, oops, someone's in trouble. I need to go back and ride with them. That's my heart. That's what I want to do. It's not about the policies. It's not about the meetings. It's not about the budgets and all that stuff. It's about life. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you is ride how you were meant to ride and just enjoy what the Lord has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you have done for me, 
let alone us. Uh, to think that you know each of us intimately where we are, knowing that we have fallen back off of the line and that we are stuck trying to do it ourselves. Thank you for laying aside your deity, coming back and saying, hey, let's do life together. And not only that, you made the way by grace that we could walk above the world, not be man-pleasers, being able to put off evil, learn what is good. Lord, keep reminding us that it's not in our effort, that in our effort we die to the law all the time. I could not pedal any harder. But Lord, you have made a way, even as Matt came back and did that cool thing for me. You have blown that good deed out of the water by sending your son to give us life and that more abundantly. For that, Lord, we say that we love you. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.